Uh, we're in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes again. Uh, we'll be doing the first part, first 11 verses, and then the last uh, 8 verses. Uh, so 1 through 11, 18 through 26. Uh, we won't be doing elder prayer this morning, but I would encourage you, if you have any prayer concerns, prayer needs uh, this morning, please see one of the elders after church. We would be happy to pray with you at that time. So again, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11. Now we're going to wrap up chapter 2 this morning as Solomon continues his search for meaning in life, uh, this time through pleasure, prosperity, and projects. Uh, recall that uh, at first Solomon observed the cycles of, of the sun, the water, and the wind, and, and instead of seeing God's a consistent and dependable upholding of creation. Uh, he lamented on how these relentless cycles of nature uh, just seemed to go on and on without purpose uh, or direction. And in his mind, uh, nothing new comes as a result of these things. And then, then Solomon used wisdom in his search for meaning. And while wisdom in itself is not bad, of course, uh, in fact, Solomon's own proverbs repeatedly uh, tell us uh, about the benefits of wisdom. Uh, but all the wisdom in the world uh, cannot make straight what is crooked uh, under the sun, as Solomon says. And then Solomon even suggests that with much wisdom and knowledge come much frustration and sorrow. Uh, as one is made even more aware of how you know, messed up our, our world is and we're a part of the world. So wisdom and knowledge can be a mixed blessing, uh, Solomon tells us. Uh, but Solomon is as stubborn as he is rich. Uh, he's persistent as he is powerful and influential, and he continues to seek answers through different means. So let's, uh, let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Ecclesiastes. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, 
and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So we're going to skip to 18 because we covered this section last week. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave up my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Praise God for his word. Lord, we thank you again for this book, this uh, unique book, Lord, and sometimes difficult book. But we thank you, Lord, because we see your hand in it, and it is your word, and it is profitable to us, Lord. We thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 1, Solomon says in his heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasures. Enjoy yourself. The Hebrew is to, to see what is good. Uh, but behold, this was also vanity. And it's interesting because before Solomon even gets to his list, before he even describes what he wants to do, uh, he says it was vanity. It's almost as if he's, he's saying uh, he wants us to know the results right from the start. Uh, 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 to say, you know, I don't want you to do what I, I'm going to do. So right from the start, I'm going to tell you it's vanity. And he says of laughter, it is mad. And again, of pleasure, what use is it? In verse 3, he employs wine in his search. He says, I searched my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of the, their life. Now we know from our study of John in, in, in Sunday school that in Scripture, uh, the modest consumption of wine is often associated with joy. And, and so wine is not prohibited, it's moderated. And, and here, Solomon seeks to cheer his body with wine, uh, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. So, so what he's saying is he, he's not drunk, he, he's not out of control, but he still wants to employ wine in an, in an all-out effort uh, to see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, notice in this verse, this verse 3, that Solomon recognizes that his search is limited. 
His search is limited, first of all, to humanity, you know, the children of man. It's limited to life under heaven as well, on earth. And, and his search is subjected to the terms set by God. And one of those terms uh, is uh, that life lasts just a short while. So his search is limited uh, by those terms. In other words, is there any good in pleasure to find by man on the earth in the limited time allotted by God? So that's basically what verse 3 means. Well, Solomon is going to find out. Uh, that's what he's determined. Uh, in, in verses 4 through 6, he said, I, make great, I made great works. You know, many think that this refers to art. So I, I made great works of art. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. Now, it was very common back then uh, for kings in Solomon's time to create an oasis uh, for themselves in what was mostly a barren land. And, and, and they were very elaborate uh, about it. Uh, we, we can read about these things in ancient manuscripts and, and, and engravings describing the efforts of these kings to uh, transform their environments. Uh, the, uh, the King Hammurabi uh, comes to mind. Uh, and um, we think of the, um, the gardens of Babylon as well. Uh, so that, that type of thing. But Solomon, he outdoes them all. Uh, many scholars believe that uh, what Solomon is trying to do here was recreate Eden. Uh, and, and they draw parallels to the Genesis account in, in chapters 1 and 2 because the vocabulary is, is very similar. Uh, uh, for, for example, the Hebrew word for parks is, is pardes, uh, from which we get our word paradise. And, and it's, uh, it's the same word naming the place where the thief on the cross uh, will be with Jesus. It's very interesting, the, the connection there. So it, it seems that Solomon's trying to mimic the activity of God here by creating a second paradise, a second Eden. Uh, but there's a big difference. Um, the difference that I see is God created Eden for man, for man's pleasure, for man's use. Solomon created his Eden for himself, uh, for his own pleasure. Uh, repeatedly, he says, I made great works. I built houses. I built vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens, parks, and forests. I made myself pools of water. Uh, what that means is reservoirs. I mean, they built huge reservoirs in order to water the, these gardens. So it was all for his glory, all for his recognition. And he goes on, verses 7 and 8, describes the vast possessions obtained by Solomon, where he says, I bought male and female slaves and, and, and had slaves who were born in my house. So this kind of gives the idea of the duration of this um, experiment, if you will, or the duration of um, uh, Solomon's uh, time here, it, it, because these slaves that he had bought had children. Uh, I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. He said, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. 
there's, there's a point in, uh, I think it's 1 Kings, where it says he, Solomon had so much gold that the value, I mean so much silver that the value of silver just dropped. Uh, it, that's how much silver he had. He got singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And yes, concubines uh, are listed as possessions uh, whose sole purpose seemed to be for the delight of men. So um, the pleasures, uh, I mean Solomon w was seeking pleasure in all sorts of different ways. And so far, I know I'm moving quickly, but so far the pleasures already listed are, are laughter, alcohol, art, nature, money, possessions, music, and, and sex. They're all in there. They're all there for the taking for Solomon to find meaning in these things. He sought pleasure in, in all of them and he sought to extract meaning from all of them trying to find answers. What is the meaning of, of life? And Solomon knows what he has accomplished. He compares what he's done with others. And he, he affirms his accomplishments. Uh, affirmation is another form of pleasure. Uh, and he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. I became great is the repeated refrain. This endeavor is entirely self-focused. And in verse 10, he even says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. So Solomon goes all out, denying himself nothing. He actually enjoys himself, uh, and, and his enjoyment was his reward. So he's having a great time. Uh, as a side note, we don't know uh, if Solomon's test here included a giant party. You know, it seems like this is a giant party. Uh, but I came across um, a statistic here, but it, it comes right from 1 Kings. Now this is, this is the amount of provisions Solomon's household required during the height of his reign. So from 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 22. Now the daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 180 bushels of choice flour, 360 bushels of meal, also 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cows. I found that interesting that it highlights pasture-fed. <laughs> you know, not, you know, whatever. Uh, 100 sheep or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice poultry. Now, some scholars estimate that the provisions listed here, okay, just here, could supply more than 10,000 people. And that was just for one day. So that was, that's the extent uh, of Solomon's, um, his home, his uh, party, if you will. Uh, you know, we don't know. Uh, so, but now comes the assessment of all this. Now comes his, his honest conclusion. And I appreciate the honest conclusion that he has. Solomon says in verse 11, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil or, or labor I had expended in doing it. And behold, 
All was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So Solomon concludes that while he did have a great time, uh, he enjoyed himself thoroughly. Uh, he says, my heart found pleasure in all my, my labor. All of it was unprofitable under the sun. And not only that, it gets worse. It gets worse because not only does his, his pleasure cruise, as I call it, prove unprofitable, not only does he realize that ultimately there is no meaning in his projects and his possessions and his profits and all of this pleasure, and not only does he know that he can't, can't take all that stuff with him when he dies, remember from last week, uh, verses 12 through 17, it occurs to him that someone after him is going to benefit from all of his work. From verse 18. And he says, and who knows whether that person will be a wise or a fool. From verse 19. And as it turns out, it's almost prophetic here that Solomon's son Rehoboam inherited most of Solomon's folly and very little of his wisdom. Uh, we get that from 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Uh, Rehoboam's reign was a disaster. And then Solomon writes, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill, that's Solomon, must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is vanity. This is a great evil, he says. And this, this bothers Solomon. He can't rest at night thinking about this. From verse 23. I, I was reading about a, a billionaire from Scotland who left his entire estate to his son, who then squandered all of his father's wealth in search for the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, the, 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 this guy had millions and millions of dollars. All of it was gone uh, because the sun uh, blew it uh, searching for the Loch Ness Monster. I mean, was he wise or was he a fool? What, what do you think his, his dad thought of that or would have thought of that? I mean, most of us don't have much, if anything, to pass on to our children. Um, so it doesn't really bother us that much. Uh, we don't lie awake at night thinking about it, at least I don't. Uh, but imagine, you know, under the sun, the thought of, of having a kingdom like Solomon's and, and, and being concerned about what was going to happen uh, after you die. All that you had built and labored for. But now the text takes an interesting turn. And, and I think the timing of this passage is great for, for this time of year. Uh, here, uh, here's what Solomon writes, and I'm going to read from the, the New Living Translation. He said, So, I decided that there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work to find satisfaction in his labor, his toil. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. Food and drink and satisfaction from work. These pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything 
apart from Him, apart from God. Now we know that, that much of the worldly thinking about God is, is that He's a killjoy and that Christians, uh, being a Christian is no fun. We have to you know, obey all these rules and regulations and, 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 and they think that you know, they'll get religious later in life after they're done having all their fun after they get the, the fun living out of the way. I mean, I was talking to someone who wanted to know if there would be beer in heaven. Um, because in his mind, if there wasn't any beer, there wouldn't be any fun in heaven. And, and he was serious about this. And, you know, I, I probably thought that way too in my early 20s. He thought that heaven would be pretty boring. Uh, th this person that I know uh, very closely has been drinking and partying and, and living life according to his own terms for over 50 years. And, and, and being a Christian would get in the way of, of all that. But despite the world's perception, uh, God has designed us to enjoy life. And, and he's given us innumerable pleasures. Uh, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and to have it to the full. Other versions say to have life abundantly or to have a rich and satisfying life. Jesus came so that we might have a rich and satisfying life. But we, we somehow take a gift like wine and, and overindulge and become intoxicated. Or, or addicted. And, and we use sex and sexuality apart from God's uh, plan. And, and a good thing created for, for our pleasure becomes the source of, of countless problems both for the individual and, and society. All these pleasures that, that are listed in, in today's passage, you know, laughter, alcohol, food, art, nature, music, uh, money, possessions, Sex, affirmation, work, all are good things in and of themselves that God has provided. They're given to us for our pleasure. Yet we, in our fallen nature, we distort and we overindulge and we turn these things into idols. In verse 24, Solomon gets back to the basics. Food, Drink, work, and by extension, family and friends. These are the simple things. These are the good things uh, given by a good God. And, and we talk about joy and peace a lot this time of year. Uh, when, when we're content with the basics, when we're content with the basic things that God provides, there's, there's much joy and peace to be had in those things. Um, when I was... When I was called to ministry, I had a job. You know, it was just a job. I hadn't had a raise in eight years. But, but it was a good job. It was a decent job. It, it paid the bills, you know, even if barely. But I was thankful that I was working. And God himself showed, I mean, God showed himself faithful in many ways, you know, uh, through that job. Um, through his provision, I mean. I had peace and was, was content with that job. 
I had good co-workers. I had interesting and challenging work. And again, I wasn't rich, but God still provided. But, you know, God ended up calling me elsewhere. And, and again, I, I think some of the most memorable, time, memorable times that I've had have been uh, with, with, with food and beverage and family and friends involved. And of course, that made me think of, of last week in the fellowship meal. You know, my wife and I just had a great time here. There was food, there was beverage, there was family, there was friends. All those basic, simple things. And, and what did it equal? It equaled peace and contentment and joy. I mean, my wife and I were bragging all, all this week and to whoever we talked to in the church. You know, what a great time we had last last Sunday afternoon. So Solomon is noting the value of everyday common experiences here. They come from the hand of God, he says, and are the source of joy and peace. And, and what I like about the holidays is that with, with celebrating the birth of Christ and, and we celebrate the new year, it provides many opportunities to get together with family and friends and, and food and beverage. Uh, the simple things. And, and they're constant reminders uh, to thank God for his, his provision. Now Solomon goes on and he says, For apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? When we keep God in the picture, everything is different. When we keep God in the picture, everything is different. This, this led me to uh, the Macedonian church in 2 Corinthians. Now listen to what Paul says about the Macedonian church. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. All right, you know, big deal. Well, here's, here was their situation. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. They were overflowing in joy, even though they were, they were going through terrible trials and they were exceedingly poor. I find that pretty amazing, but also very encouraging. Solomon concludes chapter 2 with these words. For the one who pleases him, God, for the one who pleases God, has given wisdom, I mean, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. So for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting. So what he's referring to is that labor that doesn't have any meaning. Labor under the sun, with no purpose, without God. Uh, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is a vanity in striving after wind. Uh, again, this verse reminds me of Eden, where God had given Adam and Eve everything they needed for peace and joy and contentment. But it wasn't enough. 
They needed one more kind of fruit. They needed just a little bit more knowledge. They thought those things would bring them even more joy, even more meaning. But instead those things brought separation and pain and death. God has provided everything we need in this life. Amen? Everything. Uh, including salvation through His Son. Another amen. Uh, and, and as provision for next life. Salvation through His Son for provision for the next life. So not only does God provide us for this life, He has provision for our next life with eternity in Christ for those who have faith in Him. Paul says in 1 Timothy, but to put their hope Trust in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He, he's talking to rich people and he, he's telling the rich to put their hope or trust in God, not their riches, because God is the one who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He's not saying that having money or being rich is bad. He's just saying trust in God first. And finally, Romans 8.32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for the simple things of food and, and drink and family and fellowship, Lord. Lord, help us um, to appreciate those things, especially this time of year as, as we have opportunities to gather. Lord, and again, we pray for opportunities to share your love, to share the gospel with others, Lord, who might not know you, Lord. Lord, give us the courage, give us the boldness, Lord. Give us the love and the humility, Lord, as we look for those chances, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen.